Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell, lead pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I want to talk to you tonight. We started a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago, on praying for people to be healed. And really, for some, this is a refresher. For others, it might be new. Uh, I know this. I know that uh, for most of us, they tell us, sociologists tell us we have to hear something eight times before we own it, before it becomes real to us. And so I know I've talked about this before, but I, I simply want to encourage each of us to step out uh, in believing God not only for healing, but in the way that we um, work with people and respond to people who need healing. All too often when we're faced with someone who is in need of healing, we have a tendency to pray and ask God to heal them. But the fact of the matter that is, is that's not what you see in the Gospels. It's not what you see in the book of Acts. In fact, what you see are a variety of ways in which people are healed. And so I want to just give you several of those. And I want to challenge you as you encounter people who need prayer or need healing that you would you would stop and you would just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do in this moment? And then do it uh, by faith in Jesus' name. Most of the healings in the New Testament did not come because someone prayed for the sick. In fact, Jesus did not tell us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. To me, that's very uh, instructive. He said, heal the sick. How should we do it? Well, number one, lay hands on them. Jesus laid hands on people, but almost always that was accompanied by a command. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 3, the leper came to him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. Interestingly enough, Jesus never said, I'm not willing. So, I mean, a lot of people get hung up on, well, is it God's will? Is it not God's will? Jesus never said, I'm not willing to heal. Whenever somebody came and asked for healing, Jesus healed them. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. That's the command. Immediately, he was cured of his leprosy. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. The second way that we, you see healing, and, and this really has to do with what we just read, and that is rebuke a demon that is causing the sickness. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When it says he rebuked the fever, that is a word that is used almost exclusively in Luke's gospel for exorcism, casting out demons. In fact, in the pillar commentary, it says this, it is tempting to suggest that the woman's high fever was malaria, a common ailment in low-lying water-bound Capernaum. If it was malaria, Luke implies it was demonically induced. 
In both the New Testament and rabbinic tradition, fevers are often attributed to divine punishment or demon possession. Luke precedes this story and follows it, so the story before and the story after involves exorcisms. This is the only healing miracle in which Jesus addresses the illness rather than the person, and the rebuke preserves the common Greek technical word reserved for exorcisms. So sometimes what's happening when somebody is ill is there is a evil spirit at work afflicting them. I mean, some people are, are very disturbed by that, but then consider that Paul says, there was sent to me uh, a messenger from Satan, a thorn in the flesh. All of us can, at different points, find ourselves in a, in a situation where we are afflicted. And I've, I've mentioned to you before the story with my heart racing and having, you know, SVT and, and um, postural orthostatic tachycardia, that kind of thing, and, and having to lay down. And, and um, there was a person in North Carolina who had a word, and uh, when they heard about the condition, they said, this is demonic. If people around him, close to him, will fast and pray for 30 days, um, it's an evil spirit. It will break uh, that spirit's power, and he'll be healed. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, I'm simply saying it doesn't mean you are demonized. It means you are in a spiritual battle. And in that particular instance, there is an, a, an evil spirit that is causing the sickness in a person. It's naive to think that can't happen. It's naive to think it can't happen to a Christian. So, I mean, I've seen it enough now to know that that is what happens. And in my, own, in my own situation, I remember when I first got sick that Debbie said, I believe this is demonic. She said that from the very beginning, and, and yet it wasn't until we addressed it as that that there was healing. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14, here's the boy with seizures. He's suffering from epilepsy, the disciples can't heal him, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. In Mark chapter 9, a parallel passage, it says, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So it's very interesting, as Jesus does that, the boy is healed. Another way to bring about healing is to command healing. In Mark chapter 7 and verse 32, there some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. And after he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be open. And at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. So he commands him, him to be healed, and he is. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 9, he's in a synagogue. There's a man with a shriveled hand. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored. 
a command brought healing. You say, well, that's Jesus. Well, look at Peter in Acts chapter 9. As Peter travels about the country, he, he goes to visit the saints in Lydda. He finds a man by the name of Aeneas who had been a paralytic, bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. And immediately he got up. It's a command. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 8, in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So there's a place for commanding. There's a place for praying for people again. We just did that just now. There's been, let me say this, some criticism of the fact that we do this and some criticism of the fact that we say how many people are 80% healed or we put a percentage on it and people are saying things that are ridiculous like, well, Jesus never did that and, and if Jesus heals you, he heals you completely and yet you see Jesus praying again for somebody. Mark chapter 8, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. They begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. I'm 80% healed. Just simply saying, he's not completely healed. I mean, Jesus didn't put a percentage on it, but there's a place for diagnostic questions in praying for people. And sometimes when you prayed the first time and you begin to see something happen, pray again and see it completed. Or even if you didn't see anything the first time, pray again. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened and his sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Listen, I, we've had plenty of testimonies that way. We were in Chorazim in, the, in Israel, and it's, a, it's one of the three cities that Jesus cursed, Capernaum and Bethsaida and Chorazim, and because of the miracles that have been done in them. And we were in this house um, looking at the construction of it, made out of stone, the roof, and thinking about Jesus healing miracles, the, the paralytic lowered through the ceiling, and, and then we did a healing service. So uh, we're there, and, and um, uh, we asked people, if you need to be healed, raise your hand. And so there was an individual standing next to me, happened to be a surgeon, and so I said, uh, I just asked him what he needed to be prayed for, and he said, well, I've got two nerves, and they go deep inside my arm uh, near the elbow, and he said, honestly, it's like carpal tunnel. And he said, it's, it's just a horrible pain and a stabbing pain. And he said, especially as a surgeon, um, he said, it's, it's almost debilitating. So I said, well, uh, and he said, and, I, and there's not anything they can do for it. So I said, well, let's pray. And so uh, we commanded, just commanded the nerves to be healed and the arm to be restored. So then I asked him, I said, how do you feel? He said, well, it's better, but it's still there. I said, okay, let's pray again. So we, again, just prayed and commanded the nerves to be healed and the arm to be restored. 
and he grabbed his arm, and I said, are you okay? And he said, oh my goodness. He said, whatever happened there, he said it was super painful for an instant, and he said, now the pain's completely gone. So all that to say, pray again, and pray in faith, and believe God's going to do it. And, and so you see that in the life of Jesus, uh, in the ministry of Jesus. Um, and again, I, when I mention people critical of that, I'm giving you the information, because sometimes what happens is you see things or hear things, and then you're like, oh, I wonder about that. Uh, I'm not giving it so you can uh, go and debate people. Uh, I don't think you convince people by debating people. I think uh, you're better off if people feel that way, bless them, uh, just pray for them. But I think to respond to people is not helpful for them. And I don't think, especially on social media, I think is a terrible way to, to try to address anything. You know what? People are unhappy uh, with what's happening here. Um, I'm not unhappy. I am, I'm very thrilled by all the healings. And we are seeing them uh, continually. And so um, don't, don't worry about defending anybody uh, or defending the church. I think as well, if you know there are people who disagree with you, um, I don't think it's our job to try to argue. You're never going to argue people into agreement, <clears throat> all things being equal. Just love people. Just be kind to people. And when they need a miracle, pray for them. And so, number five, <laughs> instruct an act of faith. Um, so sometimes, telling people to do something. God might put it into your heart. Tell them to do this, or tell them this, that when this happens, this will happen. And, and uh, so John chapter 9, verse 1, he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. He said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went, washed, and came home seeing. In Luke chapter 17, this is the story of the 10 lepers. He was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. So it's sometimes just giving people an instruction saying, go and do this, or go home, and in the morning you'll wake up whole. And that, I've seen that happen many times. Uh, number six, anoint people with oil. Obviously, we do that. It's something the disciples did in Mark's gospel. It says they went out, preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. In James chapter 5, it says that if any of, is any one of you sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. People say, well, you know, that's the way I'm comfortable doing it, and there is nothing wrong with that way, but I'm just saying it's like having only one tool in your toolbox, and you know what? It's great to have a, a hammer, but if you're needing to tighten a bolt, it's better if you have a wrench. So expand your thinking and ask the Lord to help you to remember, and I would suggest listening to the message again writing down these scriptures, reading them, 
thinking about them that all of us might grow in our ability to reflect the ministry of Jesus to the people that he calls us to minister to. Because after all, we're ministering in his name and by his power. And he set an example for us that we would follow in his footsteps. Amen? Dennis Bennett writes this about James chapter 5. Note the unconditional nature of the promise. We have no scriptural warrant to end a healing uh, prayer with the faith-destroying phrase, if it be thy will. God has made it perfectly clear in his word, it's his will to heal the sick, period. Jesus never prayed for the sick in a conditional manner. Some remind us that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, if it be thy will, or rather not my will, but thine. That's an entirely different situation. Jesus knew the Father's will. He was just simply saying, if there's another way, we would rather, I would rather have that. But in praying for people, we have to settle in our heart, it is the will of God. When I have pastors who ask me, what do I need to do in order to see what you're seeing at James River? And, you know, I'm careful about that because I believe God is doing something sovereign here and supernaturally wonderful uh, as a result of that. Uh, so I always preface it with that, but I believe God wants to do it everywhere. And so I encourage them, I invariably they'll say, well, I know I need to pray more. And I'm like, well, that's good. You should pray more. That's, that's a good place to start. But I say this, you're going to have to cross a theological bridge that not everybody's willing to cross. They're like, what's that? It's God's will to heal, period. It's God's will to heal. Because... Until you come to that point, you're going to be debating theologically in your mind as you're trying to pray, and that, makes, that certainly limits faith or makes it altogether impossible. God wants to heal people. Dennis Bennett goes on to say this, we do not need to make long prayers for the sick. When we have the faith to say it, a word of command can be effective. Be healed in Jesus' name. Jesus healed with a touch or a word, most often with a command. Be thou clean, he said to the leper. To the sick of palsy, he said, get up, pick up your mat, and go to your house. To the deaf man's ears, he commanded, be open. To the man with the withered hand, he said, stretch forth your hand. And it was instantly healed. What can happen sometimes is people pray long prayers because they're trying to build up their own faith. But either you have the faith in that moment or you don't. And I'm simply suggesting that while it's good to spend time in prayer, you need to have your devotions before you pray for the sick, not while you're praying for the sick. <laughs> I mean, I just, I think, you know, when you're coming in to pray for the sick, you better be prayed up. Because that's a major responsibility you're assuming to care for the people who need God to work a miracle. If somebody's got cancer and they need healing, they want to go to somebody who's prayed and who's ready, who can sense the presence of the Lord. But again, long prayers are not what brings healing. And yet, I would say at the same time, there are times when a person will be healed only as we tarry in the presence of the Lord. And that's different than a long prayer. 
where you wait in the presence of the Lord for God to do something supernatural. Been reading through some of Smith Wigglesworth's uh, books and, and sermons and just watching and learning. And, and in some instances, um, he would spend time with a person uh, just waiting on the Lord. And in one instance, after an hour and a half, he said, I felt the Lord was in the place and the person was ready and I commanded them to be healed and they were. So sometimes there is a place for waiting in the presence of the Lord, but that's different than a long prayer to try to bring healing to them, if you're following me in that. Bennett adds this, and I, I would recommend this book to you. The book is a great book. It's The Holy Spirit in You. It, it's an older book, but I think says a lot of wonderful things about uh, the gifts of the Spirit and how to, how to operate in them. The one who feels led to pray for the sick should take time to ask God how he would have him proceed. I think that's really important. Lord, what is it? How do I need to pray for this need? Is this demonic? Is it, do you want me to command the healing? Do I need to put my hand in touch? What, what is it that you're doing? Other gifts of the Spirit, such as the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, should be expected to be manifested in conjunction with the gifts of healing. There may be something in the sick person's life that is stopping the healing, and that could be revealed by a word of knowledge. Healing can take place in a variety of ways. Some healings are instantaneous. We've seen that. Some healings are gradual. They can happen. So anybody, anybody who's prayed for, I just encourage you never to say, well, I guess that didn't work. I guess God didn't heal me. Uh, God may be healing you right in this very moment, and you may walk out of this building and be healed. We've seen that happen. You may get up tomorrow morning and be completely whole. We saw that. Uh, we've seen that a number of times with people. Woman with Parkinson's was healed two days later. Another one with Parkinson's was healed five days later. But they knew God was working in their body. So sometimes it's gradual. Some healings are partial, but don't believe or think because you partially received a healing that you're not going to see the completion of the healing. You say, well, why does that happen? That will be a great question to ask when you get to heaven. I don't think we always understand, but obviously God is at work. In situations, Dennis Bennett writes, where we have desired to see healing and have not seen it, the fault is not with God, but with man. We are quick to say God didn't do it. I guess he isn't ready to heal me, yet the word of God says that he is, and right now. Let me just suggest to you that when the disciples could not heal the paralytic, they asked Jesus why they couldn't, and he gave them a really good answer. In Mark chapter 9, after Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Some manuscripts have prayer and fasting. In other words, it's because you don't pray enough. So there is a place, and I'm not... I'm not in any way wanting to have you think if you don't have uh, a, a prayer life that goes hours on end that you can't pray for the sick. I don't believe that. 
What I am saying is there are some people who will only be healed when people who can command the power of God because they've spent a lot of time in the presence of God pray for them or heal them. There is a place, as Jesus is saying, he's saying, if you pray more, you'll be able to do more. Fasting is praying more. It's focusing on God. And in Matthew chapter 17, he gives them another reason, because you have so little faith. So there were, two, there were three things that were happening. They didn't have enough faith, and they didn't need a lot, just a little, but they didn't have any. And, and let me just suggest to you, in their situation, they believed they could heal the boy. The father brought him to the disciples. They prayed for him. They thought they could do it because they had done it with other people. So believing God heals and believing that you've prayed for people effectively and they've been healed is not the same as faith. Now that's, that's hard for people to understand, but faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And there's a place for supernatural faith, the gift of faith, where you instantly have a supernatural, divine confidence to call forth God's will in a situation. And they didn't have that. And you don't need a lot of it, you just need a little of it if it's the real thing. But don't ever mistake, I believe he can do it as being the same as having the faith that he will. I believe they are two different things in the life of the believer. And, but, you know, hey, the man said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus said, all things are possible for him who believes. Jesus is the one who provided the faith in that situation. The man didn't. So we have to be careful what we do with, well, I believe he can. There's a difference between I believe he can and I know he will. Faith is the I know he will. I believe he can is acknowledging who he is and what he said and, and I believe mentally agreeing with that, which certainly has its place. All that to say, I think we have to be careful that we don't create a theology for why God doesn't heal where the Bible doesn't. So you have a lot of pastors, and I'm not saying this judgmentally because I've been in the same boat, but you have a lot of pastors who spend a lot of time preaching more sermons on why God doesn't heal than sermons that he does. And the reason why is because they're trying to help people deal with disappointment. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves coming up with rationales for why a healing didn't take place when the thing to do is to go to the Lord and ask the Lord what was happening there. And you'll be surprised what God will speak to your heart as you quiet yourself in his presence and let him talk to you. And let him grow you and let him teach you and let him change you. So um, let me add this as well. Don't wait to pray until you need to pray. Time to pray is before you need to pray. You know, this is one of the, I, I think one of the motivations for having your time with the Lord is 
because as you, and it's one of the reasons, you know, if, if you have it at night or you have it in the morning, I'm not going to argue with people with where they ought to have it. Have it, just have it for sure. But I'm always thankful when I encounter circumstances and situations and I know that I've covered myself with the presence of the Lord. I've spent time with him. There is a, there is a peace that comes to a person and a confidence that comes when you know you've been in the presence of the Lord. You can sense his presence on your life and you know that he is working. I, again, I'm not saying if you haven't that you can't pray. I'm just saying there's an advantage to spending time with the Lord. A lot of people, when it comes to praying for the sick, don't feel they're strong enough spiritually and they don't think they have enough faith, so they don't pray. And that's, that too is not, listen, there are times you might not feel you have the faith to believe for a person to be healed, but just stepping out and obeying the Lord in that situation and saying, God, I'm going to do it, and it's you, it's all you anyway, you might be surprised that there was faith there you didn't even know was there. I mean, there have been times when I've thought, well, I don't know whether I have the faith for that, and I've just learned that trying to decide if I have the faith or not is, is not helpful at all in walking in faith. Better to just obey your, yourself, your, your way to great faith. Obey, obey the Lord and, and watch Him work. Let me just close with this. I just think it's, and I brought this up several times, but I think of it a lot because I just think it's true. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. So he wants you to do what he's been doing. And you'll do greater things than these. Then he says a promise five times. And it's the only thing he says five times in his Last Supper discourse. He says a lot of great things, but he only says one thing five times. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. That's a, that's a, that's a, a crazy, wonderful promise, isn't it? I mean, that's an amazing. And a lot of times people, when they teach it, spend all their time giving all the disclaimers to it which Jesus didn't, and the apostles didn't, and the New Testament doesn't. I just want to encourage you, just let the promise stand. Just let it stand. Jesus did. He said later, verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. That's the second time he says it. John 15. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Read on, John 16. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Verse 24. Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. The thing that gives us joy is answered prayer. You know what? God wants to do things through each one of you that are greater than any one of us can imagine. He wants to use you. He wants to demonstrate his power through you. He, you know, you say, well, I, I don't, stop disqualifying yourself. When Jesus died and called you and empowered you and has qualified you through his work, not yours.
Rest in that. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Raise the dead. Freely you've received. Freely give. Believe he's the God who heals. Amen.